0: You're listening to the Packer Net Podcast Network. It is time. It is time. They can't be the Packers? No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the PackerNet Podcast Network. I am your host, JJ Leigh. Yes, I did take two weeks off. No reason. I just was busy, and I felt like the stuff that was going on was, I don't know, just not important enough to record about. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, We got some interesting information, though, now, and so I want to do a podcast. We're talking about uh, OTAs. We're talking about depth charts. We're talking about the roster construction, and we're talking about how some guys are fitting in on the team. You got uh, in the quarterback room, Danny Etling is getting snaps over Sean Clifford right now. He's uh, uh, getting QB two reps. I don't expect that to last super long, but you know, whatever. I, I don't really care who wins the QB two job. Uh, between Sean Clifford and Danny Etling, I think it's, you know, borderline a coin toss at this point. I don't expect either of them to win us a game if Jordan Love goes out. So who's going to do a better job holding the clipboard? I would put a lot of money on Sean Clifford. But, uh, you know, does that have any bearing on May? No, it does not. Uh, the Packers did pick up another running back, Emmanuel Wilson. He comes into what's... Uh, I don't know, not that crowded of a room. There's six guys in there right now. Of course, you got Jones and Dillon at the top. We drafted Lou Nichols. And then of course, returning from last year's, uh, you know, preseason camp battles, Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson. So Emmanuel Wilson, the new addition, he's six foot one, 220 pounds. Uh, Paul Brettel over at, uh, isn't he at the Acme Packing Company? Hang on. Paul Brettel. Uh, no, Packers, Wire, and Land Express. I should have known that. I knew he's from Land Express. Um, he does these tweets. I highly recommend you follow Paul Brettel. He does these tweets every time we pick a guy up that I love. He just does a little bullet list of information about the dude. And so we're just going to cite Paul Brettel here. Uh, played at Division II Fort Valley State. Went undrafted this year. In 2021, he had 835 rushing yards, 5.7 yards per carry, 7 touchdowns. In 2022, he went up from 835 rushing yards to 1,252 rushing yards. Love to see it. Yards per carry went up to 6.8, and touchdowns more than doubled to 15. Love to see it. And then as a receiver, he only had... 11 receptions for 91 yards in 2021, 20 receptions for 187 yards and two touchdowns in 2022. That is Emmanuel Wilson. Actually, let me see here. Uh, Packers.com has a little more background on him uh, that I found interesting. So he uh, went to an HBCU school, Fort Valley State, which is in Georgia. Um, And he went to the HBCU Legacy Bowl, which I I had – there's two bowls that's listed that he went to. I didn't know that the HBCU Legacy Bowl existed, or actually, maybe it's just known by a different name, but the NFLPA Bowl? Have you heard of that? I have never heard of the NFLPA Bowl. The NFLPA is the NFL Players Association. Is, is it like more commonly known by a different name? I've never heard of this in my life. I'm just going to Google NFLPA Bowl and just see, you know, maybe it's got some super famous name. No. NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. So it's a postseason college football all-star game for NFL draft-eligible college players held annually in January. I don't know what this is. I know the East-West Shrine Bowl. I know the Senior Bowl. You know Those are the ones that I care about in any capacity. I've never heard of the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. I'm sure it's a huge thing, and there's a lot of people. Oh, it's played in the Rose Bowl? Come on, did they, they must have just renamed this thing, whatever it is, the college football all star game. I mean, that makes more sense. So, so they, did they rename it? Maybe we just always call it the college football all star game. So, anyways, he went to that. Um, and then he also was a finalist. Where is it? No, not finalist. He was the all southern intercollegiate athletic conference player of the year and offensive player of the year. And then he earned second-team Division II All-America honors from the American Football Coaches Association. I thought he was ranked as like the HBCU Player of the Year or was a finalist for it. I don't see that. Anyways, he's wearing number 31. So we cut safety James Wiggins, who was wearing Adrian Amos's number 31. Now we've given 31 to this Emmanuel Wilson, uh, the running back. So uh, just to recap... Uh, and in terms of what kind of body type he's got. Six foot one, 220 pounds. Kind of, you know, basically who most of our running backs are. A little on the tall side. Um, So I'm interested to see him play. Uh, I saw a few highlights on Twitter. He just looks like a running back. I didn't see anything super interesting. Um, But I always like the RB3 competition. Um, I, I really did not. I, I was kind of... Alone in this, I really never liked Kylin Hill. I don't know why. Just I didn't like watching him play. I didn't feel like he really belonged on the team, just from a skill set. I just he always felt like a tier below uh, Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson to me. So, like last year, I didn't think the RB three battle was very fun. But usually, this is like one of my favorite parts of. Uh, any of the training camp and preseason stuff is, you know, figure out who's going to be, going to be that third running back. And the answer last year was nobody. They only kept two running backs. <laughs> um, but this year we got four interesting guys in the mix. Lou Nichols, Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson, and Emmanuel Wilson. I think all four are going to be super easy to root for. My guess is that Patrick Taylor is not going to be here much longer. Um, because he has been with the team for so long. I think at this point, it's kind of, you need to show something. You need to clearly separate yourself here from the other three guys. Otherwise, I think that they are just going to roll the dice on somebody newer. And I think that Lou, Nich- Lou Nichols as a um, a draft pick this year ha- probably has a serious edge on Patrick Taylor. Unless Patrick Taylor really just comes in and, and balls out and impresses in, in a major way. And I, I think that what that would look like is um, just a, a, demonstrating a really firm grasp of the playbook, which I think he already kind of has, you know, Matt LaFleur has kind of raved about what an intelligent player Patrick Taylor is. So I think that he has that going for him. Um, I think that you'd have to see really, really impressive ball security, you know, just the, the, the way he's tucking the ball when he runs, um, and you know, protecting it kind of like Jamal Williams did to make sure that it is not going to get stripped no matter what. I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to do to separate himself and then pass pro. He's going to have to really ball out and pass pro. I think if he does that combination of things, I think he gets the RB3 job. If he does not do that R- that combination of things, I think he's out of here probably before training camp. I just, we have enough bodies competing for that job. I think he's going to either win it outright convincingly early on or they're going to let him go pursue an opportunity with a different team and give, you know, these other young guys a shot since they are unknown. Um that kind of brings me to Samori Touré. Uh let's talk about Samori Touré because I have kind of some thoughts and maybe some newish thoughts. I want to talk about Previously, I have downplayed, to a great extent, Samori Toure. And I think maybe I want to walk some of that back. And the reason for that is that I think I have a a better picture in my head of what I think Samori Toure needs to do in order to stick around. We have a ton of wide receivers right now. You got your big four, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, and Tay Wicks. Dontavian Wicks, we found out from Kyle Malzon on on uh, Twitter to th- this week that he prefers to go by Tay, so Tay Wicks. Those are the big four. After them, you have a pile of guys. You got uh, Jadicus Bonds, who we just signed uh, yesterday, Malik Heath, Jeff Cotton, Deuce Watts, my guy, Bo Melton, Grant Dubose, and Samari, Tour- Samari, uh, Samari Touré. We've been saying Samori Touré. Gudigans always says Samari. I think that he might pronounce it Samari. So that's seven guys competing for one, maybe two jobs. And I think that I kind of crystallized in my head what I think Samari Touré needs to do in order to stick around. And so because of that, I don't think that I need to downplay uh, what he did last year or or uh, talk about why I think that he can't stick around. I, I think I'm just going to make the case here of what the expectation is of Samari, and then we'll just see if he hits it. I think for Samari Toure, he has had a year in the program. What did he do in that time? There's a fantastic article here by Bill Huber on Sports Illustrated. He talked to a, a personal trainer for Samari Touré who was kind of gushing uh, as um, Jason Vrabel, the wide receivers coach, did over the body transformation that Samari has gone through. Jason Vrabel said that he put on 8 to 10 pounds of muscle, worked his butt off, has, quote, just grown into his own. He said he looks unbelievable right now. He says he feels comfortable in his own skill, uh, own skin and plays fast and plays with confidence. That's, that's what Jason Vrabel said about Samari. If you guys would see Samari right now, you wouldn't even recognize the guy from last year. That's what he said. I have seen Samari. So far, I don't see this transformation that Jason's talking about. I don't see a physical transformation. He looks like exactly the same guy that he did a year ago. But I'm not an NFL wide receivers coach, and so I'm not going to disagree or argue with Jason. We're going to let him be the authority on whether a wide receiver has transformed his body or not. But what do I expect from Samari? Well, last year, um, Samari Toure... Earned the nickname Captain Casual. And I think that was supposed to be a compliment and I don't see it as a compliment. (laughs) Uh, Here is what his trainer Woods. I don't know what what was his first name is. Somebody Woods. We'll we'll just call him Joe. Joe Woods. That's not his name, but we're going to call him that. Uh, He says last year, Samari's mentality was I'm a rookie. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to expect. I have enough ability to produce. But going into this camp, his mentality is this is exactly what I want and I'm going to go get it. Uh, I think, and and he talks a bit about Samari not knowing the playbook last year and needing to learn that, which is fine. Totally get that. But I think with this pile of guys, and Samari Toure is not an outstanding athlete, um, even in, in this group of, you know, kind of, uh, bottom stringers in this position room, I think what where he's going to have to separate himself is he can't be close to Grant Dubose in terms of his understanding of the system, in terms of his, how he takes care of his body, how he goes about practice, his... I think I already said his, his sort of grasp of how the overall offense works. It can't be close between grant and Samari. If Samari wants to win the job, he's going to have to do it by demonstrating that these last 365 days that he has had in the system have really paid off and he's maximized it and that he is a full year ahead of grant. If they're close at all, I don't think you can justify putting Samari on the team over Grant. Now, Samari has been getting in. um, What the heck are we in? OTAs. In OTAs, he's been getting uh, first string looks at slot receiver. That's fantastic. That's great. That's exactly what we want to see. That is, I think, where he should be um, developmentally wise if he wants to make the roster. I think at this point in the year, he should you know, be earning those types of looks over all the rookies. If you're getting passed by any of the rookies at this point in the year, I'm very pessimistic about, you know, if you're going to actually make the roster by the end of the preseason, because there's just only so many opportunities for you to prove that you belong to be here. Now, granted, every position group right now is going through just a ton of cross training. We're seeing, uh Jaden Reed is getting a lot of work outside and inside. You're seeing the offensive line is all over the place. You're seeing the linebackers and the safeties are all over the place. This is just the time of year for that. Um so I think all these receivers are gonna get looks, but you need to separate yourself starting now if you're a Samari Touré. <clears throat> and I don't think that he's starting off behind the ball. I don't. Like in a bad way. I think that he is where optimistically you would kind of best case scenario expect him to be at this point. So, you know, I'm not coming out here with a negative attitude and saying, he's not going to make it. I'm saying right now, I think he's on track. He needs to stay on track because there are some really hungry guys behind him trying to pass him. And if he wants to make it, I think just having been in the program for a year, I think that he should come in with a substantial leg up over these younger guys, or that's a really, really bad sign. So he's where you want him to be right now. So right now I'm leaning toward him making the team, uh, which is a nice change of pace because I thought he was pretty horrible last year in like every opportunity we ever saw. Um, I know people got really excited about his touchdown against the bills. Okay. Okay. I know he can, <laughs> he can dance in the end zone. That's fun. <laughs> Let's see if he can do all the other stuff. Um, and I think that also if he wants to make the roster, I think that, uh, it really would not hurt for him to make some inroads with Rich Basaccia and get some special team snaps. I think for Samari Toure, getting reps on special teams is something that he should be trying to Get, I think that Rich Bisaccia is a guy who can get you a roster spot. Um, And I think that there are a lot more roster spots available to Rich Bisaccia than there are to Jason Vrabel. So would Vrabel love to keep almost all these guys? Absolutely. But he's going to keep Christian, Romeo, Jaden, and Tay. I don't know that he's going to keep six wide receivers. I definitely don't think he's going to keep seven. So you're probably looking at, Probably one or two roster spots available for Samari Torre, Grant Dubose, Bo Melton, Deuce Watts, Jeff Cotton, Malik Heath, Jadika Bonds, and whoever else they may bring in over the summer. So that's going to do running back and wide receiver for us right now. I guess we could talk about one more item on AJ Dillon, and this is a little bit old news for some of you, but just for anybody who hasn't been keeping up, um, both uh, Ben Sermons, running back coach, and AJ Dillon himself have talked about the fact that last year just didn't really go the way that anybody wanted for AJ Dillon. And they are not looking in the rearview mirror. They have big plans for his involvement in 2023 and getting him back on course. And my default position on that for right now, until we see anything else, is I think that you are going to see a change in year three. Year three, year four for AJ Dillon. So, um, you know, the little bits that we saw him in year one was really cool, but he was just buried on the depth chart behind Jamal. And then year two, he was fantastic and great. And that was super cool. Year three was a humongous disappointment, I think, to everybody. And, you know, if you're going to list the people who were disappointed by how 2022 went, I think you would start that list off with a guy named AJ Dillon and then you would follow that up immediately in number two with a guy named Ben Sermons. <laughs> so I, I think they have uh, they have big plans for getting his uh, his uh, production back on track in twenty twenty three. Next up, let's talk tight end. We got four guys who feel like roster locks: Josiah Deguara, Tucker Kraft, Luke Musgrave, and Tyler Davis. <clears throat> We cut Nick Gugamos this year. You probably don't even remember his name, uh, but he was the guy who I had circled and highlighted as. I don't know why he's still here. I'm surprised he hasn't been cut yet. And I kind of am expecting Austin Allen to be gone soon as well. Uh, we do also have a guy this year, an uh, undrafted free agent named Cameron McDonald. Um, I really just don't know much about him. Uh, I've tried to do some digging. There's just not a lot of really interesting information out there about him right now. Uh but Henry Pearson is another guy on the on the roster who is a fullback. He's a true fullback. But obviously in this offense, your fullbacks hang out more with your tight ends than they do with your running backs. So Henry Pearson, um, he is working out with the fullbacks, um, you know, would be uh auditioning for a role as an H back in this offense. By the way, if we have time, I think I'm going to circle back at the end. I I have this little side project I've been doing. I don't even know if side project is the right, even remotely the right way to describe this. But just putting together some information about the various types of receivers we have on this roster and kind of trying to imagine, like, okay, give give me a depth chart for each of the different receiving positions on the team. So if we have time, we'll circle back to that. But... We're already 20 minutes into this, so it's not looking positive for that. Might have to wait till next week. But for the tight ends, uh, Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave are already getting a lot of work in here. Josiah DeGuara took some snaps as an inline tight end. That's the uh, Mercedes Lewis role, which I found very interesting and surprising. <sighs> Note from Ryan Wood: Packers open red zone period in 12 personnel. Luke Musgrave flexed right in trips with Josiah DeGuara inline on the left. Just kind of surprising to me, and, and you know, DeGuara is very versatile. So, you know, he's got the size and physicality to kind of do just about everything you want. Um You know, but, but when people call him a fullback, they're not wrong. I mean, it's, it is incorrect, but they're not wrong because he does a lot of fullback stuff. I, I think just of all of the tight end and tight end-like positions on the team, The the inline just feels like maybe the most awkward fit for his body type and skill set. He's not a bad blocker, but, I don't know, I just, he's not Mercedes Lewis, I don't think. I mean, to me, Tucker Craft is kind of the clear heir apparent to that spot. But Mm -hmm. this is the important thing in that tight end room is that much more important than body type is going to be experience, Josiah DeGuara is the veteran in that room. It's, it's Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Davis. They've been a, in the NFL the longest. Everybody else is, you know, a rookie. We got four rookies. Uh, Austin Allen, I think was a undrafted free agent last year. Tyler Davis, I think the year before that, he was an undrafted free agent. I mean, it is, it is, it is, there are some bodies in there, but it is a position that takes a lot of learning, a lot of development. I mean, you don't expect a tight end to produce until year three. Like, I know we're all excited about Tucker Craft and Luke, Musgra- Luke Musgrave, but the tight ends this year are much more likely to be Josiah Duara and Tyler Davis. It's it's just, it would be exciting and surprising and very unlikely if Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave play at a high level this year. And that's not because I think that they're the bad bad football players. I think they're good football players. But it takes two, three, four years to become a good tight end in the NFL. That's just the reality. Like, uh, it's, 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 I don't think it would be super shocking if they did try and bring a veteran in into their room, even though they, they said that they are not going to. You know, they, they turned down, uh, Mercedes Lewis, as far as we know, and said that they wanted to go young at the position, wanted to invest in their young talent. Okay, I'm I'm not like doubting the strategy. I'm just saying we need to kind of temper our expectations as far as who is going to give those reps. I think of Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. You're going to see them on the field at points in the year. I think if you see them see them a lot and they're playing well, you should be extremely happy and thankful for that because it's just not likely to materialize in 2023, just based on the way that the NFL goes and how long it takes for guys to get acclimated. I think that they have a lot of potential to be great players down the road. I think having huge expectations for them in year one is just simply not realistic. So Josiah Deguara, I know a lot of fans don't like him. I think you just got to kind of get over that and kind of get used to the idea that he's the guy this year. So we'll see, but, um, you know, uh, Tucker and Luke are both getting a lot of reps in, um, OTAs. I think that the team wants to bring them along as quickly as possible. You know, they're, they're very talented athletes. You would love to get them mentally to the point where they can contribute and compete and, and play a big role in the offense. Uh, but no question about it. They have some growing to do. They have some catching up to do. Uh, We're going to take a break here. We still got some offensive line stuff to do before we get to anything defense, but we're going to take a break uh, and hear from our sponsors. And then when we come back, I got a couple notes on offensive line. So the most interesting thing here is that Sean Ryan is actually apparently getting some substantial looks at center so far. Um, I never at any point last year – was on the, you know, hey, let's panic about Sean Ryan train. Uh, No question that it seems like his rookie season went very poorly. Um, You know, not even just including the suspension, but just the fact that he didn't look good in training camp last year, did not look good in the preseason games, and then was not allowed to play in any capacity, even when we were banged up. Then he ended up getting himself suspended it was a bad first year. Uh, I think the team is kind of trying to hit a reset button with him and I think they are coming into this season, kind of still treating him, you know, the, the way that you would expect a year two offensive lineman to kind of factor in here, but the, it, it does feel a bit like he's kind of more on that, uh, John Runyon, uh, Simon Stepniak, Jake Hansen tier that they were on back in like 2019, 2020, as opposed to what your expectations would be right now of a third round guy heading into year two. So I'm watching him very closely, very intently. I want to see him really explode and impress because I do think he's kind of behind the eight ball at this point. Nothing else super interesting as far as the offensive line goes. Zach Tom did get some looks at right tackle but that's because Yash Nyman is taking reps at left tackle. Um, or I'm, I should say it's, it could be because he's taking reps at left tackle. I don't think right now that Zach Tom is the front runner for the right tackle job. I think that's still Yash Nyman. Um, and, uh, it's about it as far as interesting things to talk about on the offensive line right now. And then as far as the defense goes, there's only a couple guys that I'm super interested in you know, any kind of OTAs notes. And that is, um, I, I I think if you look at Colby wooden and Carl Brooks and TJ Slayton, it appears to me from comments by the, um, coordinators, uh, just stuff you've seen in camp seems to me that TJ Slayton is not quite where us fans have kind of assumed that he is. And maybe, Slayton is a little bit more behind the eight ball than we would like. I think that Colby wooden and Carl Brooks are both tweeners. I think Colby wooden is packing some weight on and is more likely to spend time inside. Uh, You know, we're, we're a three, four defensive front. So you got three down linemen in the front. You got your true nose tackle in the middle and then two defensive ends who are really defensive tackles. And that's, that's how our defensive line works. You got those three guys, and then you've got your two outside linebackers assisting them on the edges. I think Carl Brooks may be trending a little bit more toward being, you know, more of a true outside pass rusher. You know, but the question for me is: is he going to be, you know, have a hand in the dirt or is he going to be up at a two-point stance? You know, is he going to be you know, doing some training at outside linebacker. And I just don't know what the answer to that is. I think that, like I said, they're both tweeners. Carl Brooks is not, in my opinion, really big enough to actually be on the inside. Colby wooden is not really athletic enough to be on the outside. Uh, I know there are people who disagree with me and, and we kind of flip flop those two, but I think Colby wooden is packing some weight on and going to really maybe start challenging TJ Slayton in the next one to two years. And I say one, meaning 2023, so 2023, 2024, challenging TJ Slayton for, you know, some of those interior reps, obviously very different body type from TJ. TJ is this humongous mammoth human being, but you're going to have Kenny Clark, I I think, and Devontae Wyatt playing a decent amount of defensive end. I think you're also going to see Kenny Clark playing that, you know, true nose tackle position with maybe... Uh, Colby wooden or Carl Brooks to one side of him and, and T Wyatt on the other side, I think those are some very realistic looks and obviously these guys all kind of move around a little bit, but in terms of trying to figure out where they fit in, I, I think that I would trend towards saying like if Colby wooden is going to spend, you know, 80% of his snaps inside, I think Carl Brooks spends, uh, you know, 60, 70% of his snaps outside is just how I kind of see that breaking down. So Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks. Those are kind of your true defensive linemen with Carl Brooks, maybe being a little bit more of a hybrid edge rusher. We'll we'll just see. I think that he just is such a, a dynamic, true pass rusher. You know, where is he going to be lining up? Is he going to be more of a three tech or a five tech? This is, kind of a big debate right now as you're watching what they're going to be doing in OTA. So this is kind of the thing to watch with, with Carl Brooks and obviously it's super early. So you may see some stuff right now that is not actually a true indicator of what he's going to do long-term. But those, I think are the five guys that matter, I am pretty confident in saying zero of John Ford, Chris Slayton, Antonio Moultrie or Jason Luan make the roster. I just, I don't see how there is any room for them. Uh, one or two of them, Probably one will be on the practice squad. I don't think any of them make the active roster unless you are looking at one or more injuries. And it really may take more than one injury because I think Lucas Van Ness is also in the mix to be playing a lot of that defensive end. He's a big guy. I think he can play up there, you know, as a 3-4 defensive end, uh, as a a 3-tech. You know, you can move him around a lot of different spots, but I think Lucas Van Ness is, again, kind of in that, hybrid territory. I think that he's right in there. I guess the, the edge rusher position is, has some other interesting things to talk about that I hadn't uh really thought of, but or, or, or kind of prioritized of going over, but Kingsley and Ankbar getting some looks with the ones so far in OTAs. Now, Rashawn Gary is, um, I think not participating. I don't know for sure. Actually, I should check this. Yeah, no, he's he's still doing rehab, um, but I think he looks pretty good. I've seen a little bit of video from Cody Krupp on Twitter, who was kind enough to film some of this. But he looks good. He's moving around. Um, I think he's he looks a little bit heavier to me, just and not in like a chunky way, but just like he looks a little bit older, just in his build. You know, if you, in the past when you looked at. Him and Preston and Zedarius, there was a little bit of a different body build to them in that uh Rashawn felt a little bit light and young. And I think that his body looks a lot more like Preston Smith's. Uh, But don't think like chunky Preston Smith, because I forgot. Preston went through like a chunky phase. <laughs> what year was that? 2020? I think it was 2020. He went through a chunky phase. Not that year, but every other year when he's been, you know, a lean, mean wrecking machine. Uh, Preston Smith's kind of typical build. That's kind of what Rashawn Gary is looking right na- like right now. You know, very muscular. I, I, it doesn't look like he has any fat on his body at all, but just a little bit more filled out in, I guess, like his core muscles. I think that's, I think that's kind of where I'm seeing the difference. His core muscles just, he just looks a lot sort of wider in a muscular sense. Um, you know, more akin to what you had seen from Zadarius and, and Preston over the last few years as opposed to what he typically looks like. And all that means probably nothing, but just, it's interesting to me to look at. So I think, you know, if you're look putting together your, um, edge rusher depth chart at the moment, you, I have Rashawn Gary just highlighted as an injury right now. Um, but he would be my number one, obviously. And then obviously it comes with the caveat of we gotta see how long it takes him to get back to full strength. Do I think he's ready to play in week one? Yes. I'm trending toward yes. Do I think he's going to look like Rashawn Gary in week one? I do not. Um, I'm hoping that by week 10, he feels like Rashawn Gary again. But it might not be until 2024 that he really feels like Rashawn Gary again. That's just the unfortunate truth with ACL injuries. It just takes a while. So, you know, you got Rashawn and Preston as your top two guys. But I think Kingsley is right up there. In terms of how I think he appears to be getting a lot of trust uh, from the staff, seems like maybe he has a, a good grasp of the playbook at this point, which is fantastic for a year two player. And obviously, that is like a, a very uninformed opinion that I'm putting out there because I haven't talked to him, have not really heard him, uh, you know, being talked up a lot by his position coaches. I'm just, you know, this is. Very surface level (laughs) observation with a lot of assumption mixed in that, you know, that they're, they're giving him looks over Lucas Van Ness right now, which is fine. Uh, but they're giving him a lot of, of starter looks. I I think that's a, a positive sign right now. And as for Lucas, you know, I think he's going to have a role this year, but it's not until 2024 that I'm expecting Lucas to really pop. So I think that there's a good chance that what you're looking at this year is it's the Preston Smith and Kingsley and Agbar show. I think it's those two guys and you're getting some contributions from a recovering Rashawn Gary and a developing Lucas Van Ness. You got those four guys and behind them, You know, I feel like Jonathan Garvin has maybe been trending the wrong way for a while. Uh, I did really like what I saw from Justin Hollins. I think I would probably put them on very similar tiers right now in terms of likelihood to get a lot of playing time or make the roster this year. It's kind of wide open, though. We got probably basically four. I'm I'm sorry. uh, uh, You're probably looking at about one roster spot, maybe two roster spots. That are up and up for grabs between Jonathan Garvin, Justin Hollins, Ladarius Hamilton, and new edition Brenton Cox. A lot of you already know who Brenton Cox is. For the you 40-50% know, of you who don't know who Brenton Cox is, he is a an edge rusher who at one point was considered one of the top guys in the 2023 NFL draft. Like, you know, early first rounder. This is how he was being talked about a very long time ago. What happened between then and now? Well, he was at what school? Georgia, I think, and got dismissed from Georgia. Then he went to Miami and got dismissed from Miami. And Jason Rebervich, who was our outside linebackers coach, was talking about Brenton Cox Jr. And he was saying basically, look, there's a talented player there. I need him to be a professional. I'm trying to help him turn himself into a professional, and I don't want him to be a knucklehead. And that's just kind of everything you need to know at the moment about the status of Brenton Cox Jr. If they can make him be a professional and not a knucklehead, I think he's making the roster over Jonathan Garvin and maybe over Justin Hollins. I probably would... Have Justin Hollins just a hair ahead of Jonathan Garvin right now, but I, I that could be a bad read by me. But I think just from a potential a potential standpoint, if Brenton Cox can not be a knucklehead, I think that that fifth edge spot is his for the taking. Just purely off of talent, um, but I think it's a big if, and I I, I think that it is pretty clearly you know, you would be foolish to assume that he is matured at this point. I think that that's something that he has to prove before you can assume it. Um, the rest of the defense only has a couple of interesting notes. We got an update on Eric Stokes. Uh, you probably have seen this making the rounds on Twitter or Facebook or the newspaper. We finally got some clarification on Eric Stokes. He tore his MCL. Uh, very painful. I did that myself last summer. Uh, and then he also had a Lisfranc Frank injury. And so he had to have, I think two surgeries, uh, at least one surgery, I think two surgeries to correct that. And apparently he could not walk until January. So do we expect him to play much this year? I think that's foolish right now to assume he's going to play, but he also talked about his feelings about last year. First of all, you know, at first when the injury happened, um, I think that he did not, Know right away that the that he was gonna be out for the whole year, I think he thought he was uh, I think he said that he thought he was going to be back in like three or four weeks, and then of course he couldn't even walk until january. oh man, just just talking about this i I know it's stupid, and you, you probably don't care, but just talking about this, I'm getting like little flashbacks to how it felt when I blew up my knee last summer, and I'm like I'm getting like a sweat down my back, just thinking about it. <laughs> it was so painful. I've never felt pain like that in my life. Um. Anyways, but he said something that I think was maybe even more interesting to me, and that is that he was really frustrated with the tape that he put on the field last year, and he said that he hates watching it. And I don't blame him. I think that it was pretty rough. He graded out, you know, below average, not like horrifically below average, but below average. And he was making some comments, and and he's not the only guy to echo the sentiment. But he was talking about how. It just wasn't fun last year. That he had a lot of fun in 2021 in Joe Berry's first year as our offense or defensive coordinator. And it seemed like nobody on the defense was getting along or having fun or putting out their best effort until late in the season. And of course, at that point, Stokes was not even. Uh, playing. So he would have missed out on that, um, because he was, you know, away from the team and recovering. So, uh, again, you know, I, I think it would be foolish for us to expect right now that a guy who couldn't even walk in January is going to be, you know, running a four two and, uh, chasing down receivers and tackling them and stuff. I think that you're right now, I think we should set expectations of him returning in 2024 and then. You know, from there, hopefully we are pleasantly surprised by a rapid recovery from Stokes. Um and at a minimum, hopefully when he comes back in twenty twenty four, he has not lost a step. But I think this you know, it seems like it was a from what all the coaches have been saying, you know, seems like it was a pretty horrifying injury, uh, and they're just relieved that he can walk at all. So I, I just I think that we have to adjust expectations accordingly and just have an understanding that understanding that like there may not be a full recovery here ever. And we certainly should not uh be demanding that they rush him back. Um So, and we'll see, you know, part of what made him, I think really special as a prospect was that top end speed. He was so blazing fast. How long is it going to take for him to get that back after, you know, just destroying his leg and having to kind of rebuild it. Uh, so I, I would, pre- I would guess that he probably starts the season on pup. You know, does he come back at some point? Who's to say? But I think that your top two cornerbacks heading into the year are Jair and Rasul. Seems like Keyshawn Nixon is just absolutely killing it in the slot. Like I have basically said that I think that he should be doing since we signed him. Um, one nice thing for me here, because I always loathed the suggestion of moving Rasul to safety. I thought that was, you were going to get like the worst version of Rasul and still not a very good safety. Seems like he's just kind of locked in as that second corner. As far as the safeties go, it's just wide open and we're just going to, have to see what we have here. I think the coaches don't know what they have. I think the players don't really know who they are yet. We're just going to have to see. Everybody's getting looks. Um Christian Morgan. We still don't know if he's on the team or not. <laughs> the Packers announced that they signed safety Christian Morgan, and then they didn't list him on the roster and he didn't attend the rookie mini camp. And there's just no clarification. I reached out to Christian Morgan Morgan's agent multiple times, no comment, no idea what's going on. So, uh, and then special teams, you know, we signed since the last time I did an episode, we signed, uh, Dan, uh, You know what? It just occurred to me. I've never said this guy's name out loud. Whalen. W H E L A N. Dan Whalen. Um, He's a punter who actually has, I think, some kicking experience. Uh, He went to UC Davis. He's humongous. He's six foot six. We got a six foot five kicker and a six foot six punter. It's kind of hilarious. Um, And. He played in the XFL for the DC defenders, caught a lot of people's attention, and the Packers picked him up. So he is a, you know, gonna be a camp leg to compete with Pat O'Donnell. If Dan really shows out and impresses, I think that there is room there that the Packers would consider making him the primary punter, because Pat O'Donnell is quite expensive. And, you know, was fine last year. Fine, but not anything super special. So I think that there is, you know, a real opportunity for Dan. I don't think he's only a camp leg. I think that it is, you know, there there is a door open there for him to possibly win the job. We have a long snapper battle. I think it's going to be Matt Orzek who we picked up from uh, the Rams, I think. And we only have one kicker on the roster right now because we cut Parker White or waived Parker White. So Anders Carlson is the only kicker on the team right now. Uh, one, and you, by the time this episode goes up, we may already have our answer. There is a, oh no, no, he's not on waivers. Never mind. I was thinking that, uh, uh, Brandon McManus, who was cut by the Broncos had to clear waivers, but he, um, has too many years vested in league to be subject to waivers. So, uh, he is a street free agent any team in the league is allowed to sign McManus to any contract that he's willing to sign. So um, he was under a pretty expensive contract with the, with the Broncos that no longer applies. Um, it's not like you pick him up and you have to pay that contract. He had a bad year in 2022 uh, by his own standards, but he still went 28 for 36 on field goals and 25 for 27 on extra point attempts. So do I think he's one of the better kickers in the league? No, but this is a veteran, Who you know you're, what you're going to get out of him. So this is like, if Anders Carlson stinks, McManus is a guy who just provides a solid floor to you where you know it's going to be at least, you know, this good. I think it makes sense to bring him in. Packers not done so yet at this point, but we'll see. Um, and I, I like Anders. I just also want him kicking against somebody. So I, I think that the Packers will and should bring in one or two more kickers and have an open kicking competition. But I am leaning toward Anders does win it. And I'm kind of excited for him. I know you know if you look at his college stats in 2022 at Auburn, not that impressive. Uh, but we have to remember that he was coming off a, a pretty horrific injury. I think he was uh, recovering from an ACL tear himself. I think that's what it was. And you know what? You need your ACL to kick. I think it was a ACL on his plant leg, but still, you know, it's going to affect your accuracy. It's going to affect your power. So um, I'm not holding his college stats against him, especially since those college stats don't tend to really translate very much to the NFL. The guys who were you know, incredible in college don't always go on to be incredible in the pros. And the guys who were, um, you know, are good in the pros were not necessarily the very best in college when they were in school. So, I think looking over the whole team, you know, a couple more things that I, um, find interesting to talk about, you know, Rudy Ford is getting first looks at safety opposite Darnell Savage. I think that, uh, Darnell, you know, is, is definitely the guy you're going to ink in as one of your starting safeties. Um, you know, he's, he's talking a good game about how he wants to change and improve from last year but I think that he had more than one bad year in a row really kind of stacked two bad years in a row so I think that there's some serious ground that he needs to make up and Jordan Love you know obviously is the most interesting piece here that we're all watching intently and you know so far I just don't think there's anything yet that we can really gleam you know in terms of does he look the part I don't know. I think he's having a lot of fun out there. I think he is um, you know, building some good camaraderie with his young teammates. I think that that's going to go a long way toward building a strong, healthy team that's going to play well and, and have each other's back, but you know, right now they're just throwing us to air and um, you know, it's just I don't know. It's not there's not a ton to gleam here. You know, they yes, they're going up against the defense occasionally. A lot of the time they're not. And the defense is not going full speed. And it's just, you know, th- this time of year, Aaron Rodgers never looked good. You know, he, this is the time of year when Rodgers would throw, you know, five interceptions in an afternoon. And, uh, you know, any, anybody covering the Packers would have to be quick to remind all the fans like, look, this happens every year. <laughs> it's it's too early right now to be freaking out. If he's still doing this, you know, a week before the season starts, then you can be nervous. But like right now he's just trying different stuff. And that's what the what is going on right now is that the Packers coaches, you know, Matt LaFleur is putting everybody through their paces and and putting them into weird situations and and trying to see what kind of a player you are. And Dan Campbell did this in in Detroit when he first got there. Uh, and actually Matt and Patricia did it as well when he was there. You know, this is just something you do. You know, you put your young players through kind of some wacky situations. I remember there was a, a preseason game where Matt Patricia, you know, and obviously we're not trying to take notes from Matt Patricia on how to run things. But Matt Patricia had all of his cornerbacks play press man for an entire preseason game. I think it was against the Patriots. And I think that the final score of that game was like super lopsided. It was like, you know, Patriots, 40, Lions, three, something stupid like that. But he just wanted to see how they were going to respond. And, um, you know, I don't know why he did that. I don't think it really translated into the regular season, but coaches do some weird things. Either just trying to figure out, what these players are like and what they're going to do. All right. One last thing. Um, and I, I almost kind of feel silly mentioning this, but I know that there are some listeners of this podcast who get a large chunk of their NFL news from this podcast. So I'm just going to mention a couple of things. Um, the NFL draft is coming to green Bay in 2025. That's super cool. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to be there. I'm going to go. um, Huge, huge kudos to Mark Murphy. You know, he has put in so much work over the last years, buying up land around, uh, Lambeau and, and turning it into, um, hotels and title town and, and creating an infrastructure that can support the NFL draft. That was his primary goal. And it happened. He landed it. This is, he's going to retire just a couple months after the draft. This is going to be his crowning, you know, achievement and final send off. And I, it's, I, I think you need to have a full appreciation for how hard it is to have gotten this done and just how much work it took. Cause it, it really is absolutely incredible. You know, the, the Super Bowl is never going to come to Lambeau. <laughs> you live up in Northern Wisconsin and you don't have a dome. Uh, there's no roof. Nobody's going to want to come in February. To see the Super Bowl be played at Lambeau. Uh, you'll have the Ice Bowl all over again. But the draft in April, I think this is an an incredible, incredible thing. I can't wait. And I'm honestly super, um, grateful to the Packers organization and to, to Mark Murphy for setting this goal and then doing what it took to accomplish it. And you know what? Shout out to everybody who brought, who bought, um, uh, bought stock at the last stock sale uh, a year ago. You know, that's you made um a substantial amount of money for the Packers that they poured into a lot of improvements and and I don't think that that was a a an insignificant factor in a lot of this. So you know, it's it's a cool thing that Packer fans are are able to financially support the team. You know, you can't do that if you're a Lions fan other than just by buying merchandise and. And buying tickets and stuff is it's just not the same. It's just cool, you know, and I think it's funny when fans of other teams try and make fun of the Packer stock and, you know, well, didn't you know it's like a non voting share? You know, there's no monetary value in it. Like, what you think that Packer fans are just idiots that they don't understand what this is? It's, it's an NFT. That's what it is. <laughs> it's an <laughs> NFT that's been around for a hundred years. No, Packer fans are not stupid. They're not ignorant buffoons who you know, are not as intelligent as you. Some random Lions fan who happens to be graced with immeasurable knowledge and wisdom that a Wisconsinite could never have. Get out of here. Uh, one more thing. I, I, I don't think I did a podcast since we signed Jonathan Owens. He's a safety who... We picked up from the Cardinals, and I kind of think is going to end up playing a substantial role for the team this year. Just spoiler alert. He is hosting a free football camp back in his hometown in Missouri. Um, and, I, you know, I, I love when the players do this. Aaron Jones does one every single year. Uh, it's a really cool thing. I would guess that his wife, Simone Biles, is going to be there. Yep, if you you probably already know <laughs> that Jonathan Owens is married to Simone Biles, but in case you didn't, now you know. Um, I would guess that she's going to be there. Um, I, I, I love when the players do this kind of stuff and give back to the community. You know, He's not charging for this. It's free to grades 5 through 12. So if you happen to live in Missouri, looks like that is at Christian Brothers College High School in town and country Missouri so if you live near there and you have a kid who might be interested now you know that is uh, July 9th um so just want to give that a shout out okay thank you so much for listening I'm going to get out of here uh episode next week regular programming as usual thank you for being um you know understanding and and tolerant of me as I took a couple weeks off to recoup after all the uh, grueling draft coverage, which I enjoyed but definitely took me away from my family a lot. It's been nice to have some more time to spend with them. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.